And we're going to have some fun. I'm really excited about this series. And one of the things about growing up in the South is you, you realize that the weather's kind of crazy sometimes, and sometimes the people can be kind of crazy, right? Like we get upset and we get uh, huffy about different things that really won't make sense anywhere else in the world. Like how many of y'all have ever been in a fight before? And I'm not talking like you called another person a name and it got a little intense and you got red faced or anything. I'm talking like it came to blows. You had to swing on somebody. It got ugly. You've been in a fight before. Like you hit somebody and they hit you. It's a violent church. Look at all these hands going up in here. We might need to change the, the tone of the service and just pray for, for anger and violence and all that stuff. That'd be, like in the South, people get huffy and we fight over crazy stuff. Like we'll fight if somebody talks about our mama. You don't talk about mama, you know? And you don't talk about how your dad's tougher than my dad. Oh, it's on. My dad will beat the snot out of your dad, I guarantee you. you know? And you got kind of mad right there, some of y'all. My dad will beat your dad up. It, we get huffy over, over crazy things. Um, <laughs> I, I remember, I remember uh, growing up, we used, to, we used to have segregated seating in, in when, when I went to school in Alabama, and it wasn't because of race, it was because of uh, football teams. It was because of football teams. So when you rode the bus to go to school, if you were an Alabama fan, you sat on this side of the bus. And if you were an Auburn fan, you sat on this side of the bus. And dude, somebody says center side. The Auburn side of the bus was glorious. It was wonderful. Like you could just walk in and, and people would be happy and you look at the people on the Alabama side of the bus and they'd always be mad or they'd be texting their cousin and talking to them about the date they were going to have that Friday night or something like that on the Alabama side of the bus. Um, well, I'll behave. Um, but we, we would sit on opposite sides of the bus. I'm telling you the truth. Like You just don't understand. If you didn't grow up in Alabama, you don't understand. We sat on opposite sides of the bus, and we would talk smack to each other, and we would write hate messages. Like when it was cold, you know how you could write messages on the windows in the bus? How many of y'all rode to bus to school, you know? Yeah, whether it's the short bus or the big bus, it doesn't matter. You can still do, still do that stuff on the bus. So we would, uh, we would pick on each other, and we'd fight with each other and aggravate each other. And then they fixed all of that, and they had signed seats in the bus. You had to sit in a certain seat next to a certain person, and they tried to be smart. How many of y'all experienced that? Assigned seats in the bus because too many people were talking, too many people were arguing. You know, so they had to fix it. So they put me in the seat with, I don't know, it... If I remember right, he was an eighth grader, but he's like one of those people you feel like they this is like their fourth time going through the eighth grade. Like they look, they look like they're just a little bit too old to be in the grade they're in. You know, this is like almost a full grown man sitting in in the seat next to me, and and I might have been maybe like seven or eight years old riding the bus home, and uh, this guy decided he wanted to pick on me, so he would push me. Then it got to where he just like frogged me in the shoulder. You know, and then he started bullying me around and started hitting on me. And I didn't like that. And after a couple of three or four days of getting beat up on in the seat, I said, you know, enough is enough. So he hit me and I got I just had it and I hauled back with everything that I had and I didn't even look. Like I just swung. I could have I could have hit the person on the other end of the bus before my fist landed, but I nailed him. I nailed him right in the nose. And he's stunned. Like he didn't know what to do. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm about to die. 
I'm going to die on a bus. I just hit this guy who's going to rip my head off. And I saw a little trickle of blood start to come out his nose. And on the bus, all the kids saw the blood coming out of his nose. And they said, oh, you just got your nose busted by an eight-year-old. And I won. I won the fight on the bus, and he never picked on me again. Not that I'm, like, advocating violence or anything like that. I'm getting kind of jacked up. It's like a fight story, fight story, you know. But we've been in fights before. How many of y'all have ever lost a fight? A whole lot less hands are going up right now. I think we need to pray for lying, too, in the church this morning. Like, nobody ever loses a fight. We get into fights, but nobody ever loses fights. I'm a big proponent of living out the Word of God in my life. And, and I've been on the giving end of a fight, and I've been on the receiving end of the fight. And I do know this. It is much better to give than it is to receive all day long. And you can try that in court. You can say, look, I, it was religious reasons. The Bible says it's better to give than it is to receive. That's why I gave it to them. You see how that works for you. You see how that works for you. Now, I'm messing with you. We, we don't advocate violence or anything like that. But what we've all probably experienced at least a point in our lives where we wanted to let somebody have something. Um, you know, we're going to face fights in our lives, though. And it's not always going to be with another person. In fact, the greatest fight that we experience in life really isn't with the devil himself. I found out that the greatest fight that I've ever found myself in in my life has been with this guy right here. It's been with myself. The person looking back at you in the mirror, that person is going to be the toughest opponent you're ever going to face in your life. And this is why I'm so excited about this series that we're starting today because we're going to take a look at a lot of people in Scripture, a lot of people who did a lot of awesome things, but we're going to look at some of the battles that they had to fight with themselves. Not because we want to glorify weakness or anything like that, because I believe that when the Bible says we can go from strength to strength and from glory to glory, I believe that's true. I believe the Bible is true when he says that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I believe the Bible is true when he says that. But I also know that everybody can have an off day. I also know, and I don't know nobody in here has ever had an off day before. I know, I know there's some days where sin is a little more tempting than other days. And the person at work rubs you the wrong way, unlike they haven't in like three months, or just pushing all the buttons. Everybody has those off days. People in Scripture had off days too. You know, and, and I want to encourage us by looking at some of the people in Scripture, the stuff that they went through, how they overcame it, and how God was able to use them in spite of them being unqualified in so many areas of their lives. Because God uses unqualified people to do amazing things. All through Scripture, all through history, and He still does today. Uh, you might be here today, and and that, that just might be you. Like, there's stuff that... You feel like God is speaking to you to step out and do with your life, but you feel like you're not qualified to do any of it. You don't have the skills. You don't have the talent. You don't have what it takes to get things going the way that they want to for God to be able to use you the way that you think that he would want to. Or you might be here today, and that's not the issue. Maybe you've stepped out and you've done some awesome things, and you've seen God do some powerful things through your life, but you went through a season where you just absolutely blew it, and you fell on your face whether it was because of a mistake that you made or a bad decision that you made, or maybe you just did a swan dive 
and just fell back into a lifestyle of sin. Or maybe you're here today and it's none of those things. Maybe you feel God speaking to you to do stuff and you're not even worried about the stuff that you don't have. You're not even worried about falling into sin. You just know that God doesn't use you to do stuff. He uses everybody else, and everybody else can have what Scripture says they can have, but it doesn't seem to work that way for you. You might be here today, and you're struggling with a lot of self-doubt and conflict. Well, I'm here to tell you, you're in a great place today. You're in a great place today because God uses unqualified people to do great things. No matter what the struggle is, no matter what the situation is, whether you've blown it or not, God is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, 23rd chances. He never gives up on us. As long as we're willing to get back up, he's there to walk us into who he's called us to be. Amen? So I want you to be encouraged with that today. We're going to have fun. We're going to have fun. We're going to look at a lot of awesome stuff over the next few weeks, dig into some Bible characters, and we're going to have a great, great adventure. It's just going to be so awesome. And one of the guys that we're going to talk about today is a guy named Elijah. Elijah. I love Elijah. I love him. Like, he's one of the most gangster people ever in the Bible. Like, he's just straight. Like, when we go over some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, you're going to be amazed. Absolutely amazed. Like, he was the man. Like, he's one of the most powerful figures in Scripture. Like, you got... Maybe Jesus, Jesus is going to be up there. Like, he's, he's the champion. He's going to be up there. But, like, in my book, Elijah is, like, right there, maybe number two, sometimes at three, depending on what day of the week you catch him on. But Elijah's just right there because he did some amazing stuff in the Old Testament, and he did some stuff for the first. He was a pioneer of a lot of stuff spiritually in the world. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Um, but when Elijah hit the scene... He did his ministry in a really dark time in Scripture. I want to teach a little bit this morning. Is it okay? Um, he had the scene in a really dark time in the nation of Israel's history. Um, spiritually, it was like midnight. It's pitch black dark. Because for 19 consecutive rulers, the Bible says Israel had to put up with 19 consecutive rulers that were evil people in their heart. It covered a span of 200 years, give or take. 200 years of being ruled by evil people. Not like by a president that has crazy policies. Or not by a senator who's going to vote for, you know, an an amendment to a bill that you don't agree with or anything like that. Um, Not that they had to deal with crazy taxes or anything. They were ruled by, the Bible says, in their heart, evil people. For over 200 years, give or take. And when Elijah was prophet in Israel, there was a guy who was king over the northern kingdom whose name was Ahab. And Ahab married this, we'll use the word lady, but that's kind of loose. He married a lady named Jezebel. My, 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 my. That had to be a fun dinnertime conversation between the two of them. Jezebel was one of the most evil manipulative, just dark-spirited people that you're ever going to find in Scripture. Like, still today, when you see an evil, manipulative woman, 
even outside of the church, people call them Jezebel. That Jezebel right there, causing all kinds of trouble. Don't marry that Jezebel harlot. Oh, Jezebel, this Jezebel, that. She was messed up. That's the lady that Ahab picked to be his wife. That's how messed up Ahab was. And the Bible says, the Bible, I guess he was a glutton for punishment or something. I don't know. The Bible says, though, that under their reign, that Ahab did more evil in the sight of the Lord than any of the previous rulers combined. Over 200 years of darkness. They were the worst. And that's who Elijah had to deal with. That's who he had to confront. God raises Elijah up to begin to confront them and the temple worship of Baal in the land. That's who um, Ahab and Jezebel forced the people to worship this pagan god called Baal. And Baal, man, they, he, was, he was a messed up, he was a messed up god. When they would worship him, they, would have, they had temple prostitutes that you could go be with as an act of worship to Baal. That'd make for a crazy Sunday morning, wouldn't it? Hey, let's load up the kids, go to church. Okay, it's going to be awesome. We're, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm probably going to see one of the temple prostitutes, and then we'll go get some coffee, and then we'll head out and go get something to eat after that. You know, It, it was completely, it's completely different. There was really corrupt. Some of y'all are looking at me like, did he just, what, what just happened? Are we in church? What, what's just going on? <clears throat> so, so they had temple prostitutes, and then they would have human sacrifice to Baal, and they would mutilate themselves. They would cut themselves as an act of worship to Baal. He was a really dark, jacked up kind of God that they would worship. And this is who Elijah was going against. God raises Elijah up, and he just raises up a single guy, one person, to combat all of this stuff and call it out. And so many times in Scripture you see God raising up one person. And you know God still raises up one person today. As long as there's one person willing to stand up and go, God will use one person. He'll use one student in school to take the stand to be sexually pure. He'll use one businessman at work to have integrity and not fudge with the system and live his life out the way that it's supposed to. All through Scripture, God uses one person who's willing to go. And you might not think that you have all the tools and all the stuff, but if you'll give it to God, he'll take the fish and he'll take the loaves and he'll multiply what you don't have until it's enough to provide for the need, until it's enough to provide for the task to get it done. If you give God your staff, he'll let you lead a nation. If you give God a sling and a stone, he'll help you knock down a giant. Don't ever underestimate what God can do in you and what God can do through you because one person can make an impact in this world if you're willing to let God use you in spite of what you think you don't have. So Elijah raises up and he begins to confront this king and this queen and this false god in a really dark time in Israel's history. And what I want to do for a little bit is I want to just jump through scripture and show you some highlights of this conflict and this bout between Elijah and them, and give you kind of a, a movie trailer of Elijah's ministry over a span of about three years, and walk you through it. I love movie trailers because you can get like the whole gist and feel of the movie just in a couple of minutes. I'm kind of Jonesins for the uh, the new Avenger movie that's coming out at the end of the month. I can't lie. Like I saw the new trailer that came out not too long ago for that, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to go see that. I got so excited. <laughs> 
It looks so good. It looks so good. Um, pastor goes to see me. Yeah, I'm going to see movies. And I, I'm a nerd. When it comes to comic book kind of movies, I'm such a nerd, man. I'll go, I'll go see an Avenger movie even if they just film a rock for four hours. I probably pay money to go watch a rock for four hours because it had Avengers on it. Um, but that's just me. Uh, <laughs> now, I will check for the movie content before I go see it. I had to say that because all you churchy, real religious people will get mad at me for going to see a movie and not say that I check to see content before I go. Pastor doesn't like to go see movies with naked people. Pastor doesn't like to go see movies that are like full of 850 F-bombs and sex scenes and stuff like that. But if it's good entertainment, I'll go see it, kick back and have some fun. There's nothing wrong with that, right? As long as, you know, content's so-so. Um, so in First Kings... Chapter 17, Elijah hits the scene. He walks up to Ahab. Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishba and Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah just walked up to one of the most corrupt and evil kings in all of history. And just made this bold statement to him. Hey, we're going to shut it down. I'm going to tell you what Elijah was doing here. Baal was a god of crops and fertility. Baal was a god. Are you ready for this? He was considered the god of the rain and the dew. It was also considered a god of sun. Almost anything to do with agriculture, Baal was considered the god of that. Elijah walked up to the king and he said, I'm just going to strip away all these pretend powers that you say your God has. And nothing's going to happen that you attribute to him over the next few years except at my word because of the God that I serve. He just attacked that whole religious mindset. And you know what he also did? He pronounced a death sentence to the economy of the kingdom. Because if there's no rain and there's no dew, guess what doesn't grow? Crops and food don't grow. Guess what doesn't get to drink water? And guess what doesn't get to eat? The cattle and the livestock. Man, he just said pretty much, you're about to experience unemployment like you've never seen. Your economy is about to crash. Oh, and by the way, your God ain't Jack. We're going to shut that down too. Um, and nothing's going to happen around here unless I say so because my God is the one in charge, not this little thing that you say is in charge. What a statement. That's huge because all Ahab had to say was, off with your head. And Elijah just walks out of nowhere. Like the first account we have of him in Scripture, he's dropping bombs like this. It's insane. So we see him again in 1 Kings 17. Um, this is verse 2. This is after he's made the proclamation. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You'll drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So God sends him away to a place where he can provide for him as this famine and this plague of no rain and no dew is taking place. God sends him to a place where he can be provided for. After a while, though, the brook dries up, and God says, hey, it's time for you to move to a different place. Now, Elijah's kind of dealing with the effects of the proclamation that he just made. 
You know, it's one thing to say the word of God is awesome, but it's another thing sometimes you have to live within the consequences that are bound with the word of God. Sometimes God runs you through rough seasons as part of what he's doing in the bigger picture to glorify his name. And Elijah kind of experienced some of that. And so he goes to a city, and he comes across a widow who is gathering up some sticks. And her big plan was, I'm going to take these sticks. I'm going to go home because there's no food to eat. We're in the middle of this famine. I'm going to use the last little bit of flour that I've got, and I'm going to use the last little bit of oil that I've got, and I'm going to make some bread for me and my boy, and then we're going to die. That's, that's not a good plan. So Elijah says, hey, I got a better idea. Uh, I know you don't have a whole lot of stuff, but why don't you go ahead and take what you have, and why don't you make me some biscuits? Because we're in the south. Elijah wanted biscuits, right? Nice, big, fat, cat head, buttermilk biscuits, maybe with a side of gravy or some apple butter. How many of y'all like apple butter? Oh, my gosh, I could kill myself eating biscuits and apple butter. I could just, I don't even talk like that. Just, just Pastor Josh is trying to become skinny Josh. I don't even talk about biscuits. Okay, so uh, Elijah says, he says, make me some stuff first. Honor God and see what he does. So the widow says, okay, fine. She does that, and you know what happens out of her obedience to the Lord? Some of y'all know this story, but through the whole famine, through the whole plague, the Bible says that the jar that she had oil in never ran out of oil. And the container that she had the flour in never ran out of flour. When she was obedient to God and gave him the first fruit of what she had, he blessed what she had, and she didn't lack in the middle of a nation that was going without. There's a lesson in there somewhere, I think. That if we put God first with our finances, with our life, and with everything that we have, his blessing will be on us, and his protection will be on us too. There's probably another scripture somewhere that has something to do with that. I don't know. Maybe we'll cover it one week. Um, so, so she puts him first. God provides. And then you know what happens? Her son dies. It's crazy, right? Her son dies. And Elijah says, well, this isn't right. So he goes... I'll take the boy, and I'll pray for him, and we'll just see what happens. All right? As far as we know from Scripture, no one had ever been raised from the dead until Elijah said, you know what? I serve an awesome God. If he wants to, he can probably bring this boy back to life. And in the Old Testament, without any point of reference... This man had enough faith to pray over a dead boy, and God brought him back to life. That's awesome. Elijah was just straight up amazing in, in how he operated and how he trusted God. He, not only would he, he had the boldness to confront a king, and he, was, he saw God provide at, at a brook, and then he heard the voice of God and moved to a place where he saw God provide miraculously for a widow and his son. And when the son died, he saw God raising from the dead. Elijah's seeing amazing stuff happen. I'm telling you, Elijah's just a man. He's the man in my book. The first person we know of in Scripture to ever bring somebody, a prayer that he prayed, God used to bring somebody back to life. That's just amazing. In 1 Kings 18, uh, the story continues. There began to be kind of a, a big persecution against the prophets in the land. 
and Jezebel and uh, Ahab started killing them off. And it got to the point where this guy named Obadiah had to start hiding the prophets in caves to protect them from being killed by these two. And so we pick up the story here in 1 Kings 18. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So now Ahab and Elijah are crossing paths again. And look at this. Look what Ahab says to Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. I love this because Elijah just shoots straight back at him. This is the king who says, You're a troublemaker. And Elijah says, No, nah, it's not me, bud. It's you. You're the one that's made the trouble for Israel. You and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the bells. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now when I read that, the first thing I think is, oh my God, how big is Jezebel's table? That's 850 people. That's a lot of wood. That's a lot of wood. That's a lot of mouths to feed. That's a lot of people that she's rolling with. And Elijah calls every one of them out. He says, enough, enough. We're going to bring this thing to a head. We're going to find out exactly who the God is. It's either going to be my God who I know is God, or it's going to be this wimpy little God that I've been showing up for the last few years. Because it hadn't been raining. There hadn't been dew. You're going through the famine. Everything I said is happening just the way I said it because of how God told me to do it. And, and so he has this cause for this big showdown. And so all the priests show up. You guys know the story. All the people of Israel show up, and they watch this big thing where one man literally stands against all of a pagan religion and an evil and corrupt king. And he goes, all right, here's how we're going to do it. If your God is God, then he's going to answer with fire and set this little thing on fire. And if my God is God, then he'll answer with fire. Now he's throwing another slam here against Baal because Baal is supposed to be the God of sun. And surely the God of sun can answer with fire if he wants to, right? Surely he can if he wants to. Elijah's setting them up again. And so the priests of Baal get out there and they do all they're going to do. You guys know the story. They yell, they scream, they start cutting themselves. And I love Elijah because he starts talking smack to them while they're doing all this stuff. He goes, hey, why don't you scream louder? Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's out traveling somewhere and he's out of town and he can't hear you. Scream a little bit louder. And then he says, the interpretation is awesome. I love this. He says, hey, maybe he's using the bathroom. Maybe he's got the door shut. Maybe he's deep in thought and he can't, you know, because guys know this. We go to the bathroom shut the door. The, the whole world ceases to exist for a little while. Maybe he's in there and he's deep in thought. You know, maybe he's caught up in a moment. No, Elijah's just talking smack to him. Morning to evening, says they tried. Nothing happened. Elijah steps up, repairs the altar of the Lord, prays a beautiful prayer after. He tells these guys to, to not, just, not just put the wood on the altar and all that stuff, but to soak it with water. Like he's just driving this point home. Let's soak it with water. Not once, not twice. That's three times. Let's soak it with water until the trench around is just drenched till the wood soaked to the bone. So there's no way logically, that this is going to light. He prays a quick prayer. God answers with fire. Burns up the, the, the sacrifice, the altar, the water, everything. Just burns it up. Answers powerfully. The sun God couldn't do it, but our God could. 
God shows up powerfully. And then Elijah gets just straight gangster. He says, all right, all you gather up all these little prophets. Because what was happening here is this. When you have a challenge like this, you're literally putting your life on the line. Because if God didn't answer Elijah, he had to forfeit his life. But when Baal didn't answer the priests and prophets of Baal, guess what happened? They had to forfeit theirs. So they went down to this little brook, and you know what happened? Elijah killed every stinking one of them. 850 of them. Gone. That's hardcore. He's on a high right now, if there is such a thing. He saw God answer with fire. He just annihilated. He just, one, he just showed up. Baal to be the ultimate false god. And two, he just annihilated all the priests and all the prophets of Baal. In one swoop, he took it out. And in one, one big swoop, he showed the nation of Israel that God is still God. And all this junk they've been throwing at them is false. And there's nothing to it. This is a powerful moment. The powerful moment for Elijah. And right after that happened... Another thing that was cool kind of happened in 1 Kings 18. Again, after he, just, just after he had slaughtered all the priests and prophets, Elijah said to Ahab, Go and eat and drink, for there's a sound of a heavy rain. Now pay attention to that. He said there's a sound first. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. Good for you, buddy. Um, and then Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. He started praying. Go and look towards the sea, he said to his servants. He went up and looked. There's nothing there. So he said seven times, he said this. And Elijah said, go back. And on the seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. He announced he heard the rain before the cloud was there. This is crazy faith that Elijah is operating with. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot. And go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose. A heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah. Now listen to this. He, he announced the rain before he prayed. Then he prayed for the rain seven times, and a cloud popped up. And when the cloud popped up, he said, oh, it's about to bust loose, guys. And it started raining. That is amazing faith to operate with. And then... The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Like, the rain is coming. Ahab's going in his chariot, and Elijah pulls a forest gump and starts running and takes off and passes the dude in his chariot. Now, think about that. If you're on the chariot going, and here comes the dude running by you, he's gone. That's crazy. That's Elijah. This guy's amazing. Like, not only is he the guy who can pronounce plagues and curses because God tells him to, we see God provide. He's the guy that can stand up and take on an entire legion of prophets. Watch God do his thing. Kill all of them and then win a track meet. (laughs) The dude's got skills. He's got skills. So they run. All this awesome stuff happens. And then Ahab gets back and starts to talk to Jezebel 
about what just happened. And he tells her what had gone on. In 1 Kings 19, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and I bet that was a crazy story. He killed them all. And then I was on a chariot, and he ran right by me. He did what? Told him everything he had done. Go back, please. And how he killed the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of those that you just killed. And something happens after that threat in Elijah's heart. The Bible says Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. I'm confused. (laughs) He's still running. He's still going. Running for a different reason. This is the guy who had seen God do all this amazing stuff, who had been used so powerfully by God, and now a little witch lady says something to him, and he's scared to death. This is the same guy that just put his life on the line and looked at 850 prophets and looked at the king and said, I dare you to do something about it. And a queen sends a messenger to him, and it hits his heart, and he becomes afraid. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. The Bible says he came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Is this the same guy? I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. It was so bad he just had to take a nap. (laughs) The same guy? He's responding this way? That doesn't make sense. Have you ever had times in your life, though, where you just felt like you were on point spiritually? And then something happened and it derails the whole process. Like you feel like you're at that point where you look, you just feel like I could walk up to somebody and raise them from the dead right now. I know my God is just that awesome. And then you get the call from work and they say, we don't need you anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what. It's the same guy. Elijah's just having an off day. This is less than 24 hours after he had seen God do all this awesome stuff on Mount Carmel. And he's running afraid. Fear. Fear. When it gets in your heart, can derail what God wants to do in and through your life. Can I talk to you for a little bit about fear this morning? Just just for a few moments. Fear can be crippling. We all fear different things. Some of us are in here today, and look, you might be afraid that you're going to get sick with some kind of crazy serious illness because through your family lineage, there's a history of heart disease. There's a history of cancer. There's a history of lung issues, debilitating diseases. And that fear can drive you. That fear can hinder you. Some of us are in here this morning and we're afraid we're never going to get married. And if you're not careful, that fear can drive you. It can drive you to the point where you become a different person to try to attract the people that you don't think God's capable of bringing into your life. 
by being the person he created you to be. Man, just be you. Just be you. Fear can drive people to do some crazy things. Some of us here this morning, we're afraid. We're afraid for our financial well-being, and it drives us. We're workaholics because we never want to be without. Fear can drive. Fear pushes away. Fear is always a wedge that comes between you and who God wants you to be. Fear got in Elijah's heart, and it messed him up. This is what I know about fear. Okay? Anytime that fear enters into your life, you can rest assured that it did not come from God. It didn't come from God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says this. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and of self-discipline. God doesn't give a spirit of fear. Pastor Josh, what about in the Bible where it says that the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom? Isn't that a good kind of fear? Me personally, I don't like that interpretation in Scripture because that word... Fear that's used there is not like the fear that we would use today. It's, it's more, the meaning of it is reverence and awe or a deep respect. Like, I respect the law of gravity. That's why I don't jump off buildings. That kind of thing. You know, that's, I respect God. I reverence God. I honor God. So I'm not going to do anything to dishonor him. That's more what that is saying. You operate in wisdom when you realize who God is, how he operates, and how powerful he can be in your life. The fear that's talking about here is a completely different kind of fear, though. This is like, this is like um, emotionally debilitating kind of fear. That's not from God that grips you and prevents you and keeps you from doing stuff, that gets in your heart like it did Elijah, and it almost derails everything that God was doing in you at that point, and you feel like you don't have what it takes. The fear of the unknown and the unknown possibilities come in. That's not of God at all, at all. That's why we've got to be careful not to let what people tell us get into our hearts. You got to be careful not to let what people tell you to get into your heart or to get into your spirit because it'll mess with you. How many of you know that they say a lot of stuff? They are always going to say something. They are always going to say you're not talented enough. They're always going to say you're not tall enough. I've heard that all my life. They are always going to tell you you don't have what it takes. You're not smart enough. They have always got a reason why you can't do what God said you could do. But God says, I equip you to do everything that I've called you to do. You might not have it in your goodie bag, but that's the beauty of it because God, working through you, can provide everything that you need. You got to be careful not to let that stuff get in your spirit. A woman made a threat against the prophet of God, and he let it get in his spirit, and it began to mess up his whole relationship with God. Freaked out, ran away, took a nap. Checking out. That sounds like a good plan. Y'all been there before. My life is so bad, I'm just going to take a nap. When I wake up, it's going to be better. <laughs> But, but it's not, is it? You're a little more well-rested, I suppose. Um, Got to be careful not to let it get in your spirit. You know, the devil, the Bible says, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for those he can devour. 
He looks for those moments when our guard is down to try to sneak things in to take us out. He prowls around like a roaring lion because he knows he can't take us head on and win in a battle because we're children of God. We have the power. We have the authority. We operate not hoping for victory. The Bible says we operate with victory already in everything that we do spiritually and in this world. I got to wonder why Jezebel sent a messenger to talk to Elijah instead of just killing him. I mean, she was a queen. She could have sent the entire army to Elijah's place and killed him. But she sent a messenger. And I, in a way, taking a little bit of poetic license, but I think it might be because she knew she couldn't take him head on and win because of what she had just seen happen through him. Maybe she was a little bit afraid. So in a reaction, she sent a word that was able to land in his heart. And that's what the enemy does because he knows he can't take us out head on. He'll watch. You ever notice how when the enemy comes, he doesn't come when the sun's out and the rainbows are shining and the birds are singing and the, the kids are cleaning up the room and you get the bonus at work and the car's running just like it's supposed to. He always shows up when things are at its worst. And then what does he do? He speaks that little word, trying to get it into your spirit. Did you know that when Satan was tempting Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, one of the literal translations for the word serpent used in that passage of Scripture is whispering enchanter. Whispering the words of doubt to cause fear and confusion to rise up in our hearts and in our lives. And he finds us in those weak moments and he just whispers just a little bit. You go through a hard time in your marriage and he comes over and he whispers and he says, I told you they were never going to change. I told you they were always going to be the same person. They're never, never going to give this over to God. You need to call it quits and move on. He'll whisper when you're going through a rough time in your marriage and in your relationships, and he'll say, I told you, you weren't worth loving. You're worthless. And he'll try to get that word into your spirit and cause that doubt. So that fear drives you. That's how he operates. That's how he operates. When you lose the job, he comes in and he whispers and he says, I told you. God wasn't going to provide for you. Why did you trust him by paying your tithes? You idiot. All of this is fake. He whispers. He whispers. He whispers. And that's the game that he plays. He whispers. He whispers. All those words of doubt. We got to be careful that we don't just let the words that others speak get into our spirits. But we got to be careful that we don't let the words that come from our enemy get into our spirit too. 
Because he studies us and he prowls around and he looks for those that he can devour. He looks for those that are going through that weak moment. He looks for the ones that are vulnerable. And I don't think he roars so much as he just whispers. Just that word to get into the spirit, to cause that confusion. You got to be careful. You got to be careful what you allow to get into your heart. I know this, that when we operate in fear, what we're saying is that we don't really, we don't fully trust God to be enough. That sounds kind of blunt, I know. But when you get right down to it, when we operate in fear, when we let that grip our heart, and what happened to Elijah in that moment was that he had forgotten everything that God had done, and all he saw was the threat coming from the woman, and he freaked out, and he lost it all, and he forgot to trust God to be enough. He's having an off day, and it took him off track. When we don't trust God, it tells me a couple of things that, One, either we have not experienced a revelation of who God is and who he can be in our lives yet. Because he's a father that wants to take care of his children. Amen? When we operate in fear and we don't think that God is able to provide and take care of that stuff, it tells me probably we don't, number one, we either don't know who God is, or two, we've gotten distracted by a whisper. That word from somebody or that word from the enemy. That's what happened to Elijah. It got into his heart. And I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that the enemy's kind of been whispering to just a little bit. You know, the good news is that if you are here and you're going through a season like this where you've got that doubt that's creating fear, that's keeping you from stepping out, keeping you from trust and keeping you from moving into who God wants you to be. The good news is that even if fear puts us on the sidelines, that God doesn't give up on us. Even if we have an off day, even if we have a moment where we feel like we're unqualified and we feel like we don't have what it takes and and the stuff that we're facing that God might not be big enough to handle, even if we're going through a season like that, God is still patient and he still works with us. Now, he wants us to get it right the first time, but he's there. He's a God of second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. Amen? Aren't you glad God didn't give up on you the first time you made a mistake? Aren't you glad he didn't wipe his hands and walk away when he said, you know what, I just don't think they're going to get it. No, he's a God that's always there to help restore, to help get us on our feet, and to help point us in the direction of becoming who he wants us to be because he never fails, he never forsakes. God does not give up on us. He never gives up on us. So even if fear puts you on a sideline, he doesn't give up. So Elijah's hiding. He's going through this little season of doubt because fear has gripped him. And here's what God does in 1 Kings chapter 19. Before that, the Lord sent an angel to encourage him. And he told Elijah to go to this place, this cave. Elijah goes to this cave. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. That had to be awesome to see. And it shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And then look at this. After the fire came a whisper. A whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. A voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? That's a great question. God answered him in a whisper. Not in the big and the powerful, but in that still, small voice that speaks peace, that brings confidence. Where the enemy would try to whisper and create doubt and create fear, God whispered to Elijah. And he said, I'm still here. I'm still here. Oh, and by the way, what are you doing here? I wonder how many of us are here this morning and God would ask that question of us. What are you doing here? What are you doing at this place in your life? Maybe you're here this morning and you've run to a cave and you've taken a nap and you've just checked out. For whatever reason, because you feel like you don't have what it takes or you've made the mistakes and you don't want to make them again. Maybe the enemy's been hammering on you and telling you you don't have what it takes. But I'm here to tell you, none of us here have what it takes. It's God who qualifies the unqualified. And when God is for us, the Bible says, who can be against us? I love the way that God answered in a whisper. But I wonder how many of us here today, he would ask, what you doing? Why are you where you are right now? Why are you hiding in fear? Why are you hiding in doubt? Why have you let the enemy sell you a lie when I have told you you can be so much more? When I have put so much more potential inside of you? When all that I am is available to you, why are you here? Elijah stepped out of that cave the voice of God and God sent him out to do so many more powerful things yeah he had an off day but God wasn't done with him and you know how Elijah left this earth God sent his limo to pick him up sent a chariot of fire he lived like a gangster and he went out like a gangster I love it I love it I love it but he had an off day He had an off day. Look, sometimes we can have off days. We can have off seasons. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place where the enemy lies and we bite on it. I'm here to tell you the good news today is that you don't have to stay where you are. The same God that worked the miracles before is the same God that can work the miracles now. The same God that didn't give up on you before doesn't give up on you today. Aren't you glad that you're not where you used to be now? You might not be where you want to be in God, but you're not where you used to be. That's the same God speaking that encouragement in that life to you. He's not done with you yet. There's a lot more to do. So why are you where you are now? Let's step out of the cave and let's do something powerful for God. Amen.
Bow your heads and close your eyes.